Well, good evening. It is a, a good night, and I'm thankful to be here with you all. I will remember this before I get halfway through. I'm glad to be with you all tonight, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity that you guys have allowed me this week to be here for my first gospel meeting. And when I go home, I'm going to go home pumped. You guys have just encouraged me in every way. You guys have been kind to me. You've opened your homes to me. Uh, you've given me a chance to spend time with Luke, uh, your evangelist here. And I've got to say, I, I, this isn't going to be the end of his and my time together. Uh, he, I look back and I think I've been preaching two years and I can't imagine doing this work when I was his age and to take on that. I don't think I'd be doing it yet. Uh, and I just have to commend him for taking on that work and labor. Um, Paige, just keep supporting him like you are. And uh, you all, the church here, rally around him and just stand behind him and just, just keep him held up so he can continue growing in that labor, which I know he will do. Here tonight, I enjoyed a great meal with Randy and Janet. Thank you so much for hosting in your home. And, and they even uh, allowed the Dishmans to join us and gave us a chance to get to know them a little bit. And it just, man, it was a great way to cap off the week. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of sad that it's a Wednesday meeting, but I actually have to say, I couldn't imagine going a Thursday and Friday too. <laughs> I am not used to this. And I'm thankful for it, but it, it is work. And, uh, and I hope that when I leave here that you guys will look back on this week and think we were glad he was here with us. Uh, I know I will leave here being glad I was with you all. So, so thank you all so much. And also, you know, tonight in the crowd, Danny himself could stand up here and preach. Luke could preach. Bill could be here and preach. J.R. could preach tonight. There are several men in this audience that I am just... I admire greatly for the work that they do in the labor of preaching and speaking. And, um, you know, but it's my night. I'm on the bill. My name's on the flyer, so I get to do it. But, but I am thankful that they're here and I'm just looking uh, forward to visiting with them some too this evening. You know, my hope in these lessons this week, the want and the drive has been to encourage you to be the Christian that you should be, to stay a Christian and to live like a Christian in your everyday walk of life. Because it's not something like a hat that we can take on and off and put on the shelf. It's something that needs to be just what we are and everything else should be a, a part of us that could go and come. But our life as a Christian should be the primary focus of our life. Physically, our goals, heavenly, our goal, Everything we do should be pointing towards this. And that's why tonight my final message to you is the ideal of don't give up. You know, we have one more time together tonight. And I want you to think, don't give up. And I, I don't know, some of you have maybe seen this movie. I'm not going to spend too much time selling the movie, but it is a wonderful clip. And if you have seen the movie Facing the Giants, this, this young man had set boundaries on himself thinking he could only do so much and with the spurring on of the coach and blinds, blindfolding him and then putting the weight of another player on his back, not being able to see those things and just being told to keep going, to keep going, to keep going, he ended up doing what they called the death crawl for the entire length of the football field when he was hoping he might do 30 yards. And that's really what tonight's about. Go the distance. Keep pushing, keep pressing, don't give up. 
Hold on, because heaven will be so worth it. You'll never think when you're in the presence of God, oh, it just seemed so long. You will forget about everything that ever seemed a burden here when you make it to the presence of the Lord. So let's begin, though, tonight by looking at Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. And again, most of my things are big enough. You can follow along by that. But if you want, turn away. Uh, let those pages flip. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what? These are three big power-packed verses. You know, in verse 23 alone, the Hebrew writer starts with the challenge of us to hold on to the hope we profess. We're told to hold on to our hope without wavering or unswervingly, as some translations may say. And the reason we should hold on to this hope, to our hope, is because we're hoping in the promise of God. And our God is always faithful to his promise. This is one promise we will not, that will not fall short of our expectation. You know, sometimes we put hope in people who are unreliable and we're disappointed. They disappoint us. But God never disappoints us because God is altogether trustworthy and reliable. We can count on him. And therefore, we should never give up on our hope in him. And then verse 24 challenges us to figure out how to motivate each other. Again, let us look at verse 24 in some different translations. The NIV reads, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards loving good deeds. You know, we, I've seen a lot of people that ride horses and pictures with their horses. You know what it means to spur on. You, you give that little touch on the side to, to get that horse motivated to move on. Or with the derby coming up, you may watch it and you see them with those little whips. And they're spurring those horses to go just a little bit faster for victory. Or the ideal in the CSB is that we let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. The NLT reads, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And the New American Standard reads, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, the words underlined here on the screen come from the Greek word paroxymos. And it's an interesting word. It's only used twice in the New Testament here in Hebrews and then in Acts 15, 39. And there it is used when Paul and Barnabas are having a disagreement about whether they should take John Mark with them on their second missionary journey because Mark had left them in the first one. And the Bible says there, and there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. That word again there, sharp, is that paroxymos. And when we look back at the different translations of Hebrews 10.24, we notice the different English words used to translate that word paroxymos. And they are to spur or to motivate, to stimulate, and to provoke. Well, as we keep putting forward into this lesson, you know that word provoke a lot of times has a negative condensation to it. 
you know, to provoke something, you know, but rather this word is meant in the positive sense, and we're going to look at this a little bit. But, you know, the Webster's Dictionary defines the word provoke to anger, to irritate or annoy, to create disputes. You know, that's the negative side of that word provocation. But that's not the only definition that's in the Webster's Dictionary. The additional definition for provoke says to excite to action or feeling, to stir up, to call forth, to stimulate, to influence. That's the positive side of provocation, and that's the point of one, this one another command, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to stir up, to provoke, to move. You know, an interesting thing about Hebrews 24 here, when we look at this as well, is we're commanded to be creative in our provoking even. You know, the different translations also read there saying, let us consider, let us think about, let us see how to inventive, um, how inventive we can be to provoke. It's that idea of how do we get each other to do stuff? How do we get this to move? Well, I think it's important for us to give thought to this because all of us are different. All of us motivate differently. Different things, different people, we all take motivation differently. And what might motivate one person in here might not be what motivates me and, what, and vice versa. So we have to think a little bit how to provoke. In the final part of that, verse 24, it points out what it is that we're to look for in motivating people toward. It is love and good deeds. And we talked about that. We aren't just trying to provoke people in general. Many of us do that well enough without trying. There's a point to this provoking, you know, to love and good deeds. And if you're anything like me, then you need some encouragement to get going and keep going from time to time. It's, it's natural. We get complacent, but we need that provoking and just like we talked about last night, we read we're not to grow weary from doing good. And I don't want to re-preach last night's lesson. And most everybody here, this is kind of the home crowd that got to hear it last night. But we need to not grow weary in doing these good things. So I think, and I hope you would agree with me, that all of us need some spurring and provoking from time to time, Right? And that's what I want to do tonight for a few more minutes while I'm with you. I want to spur you on in the right direction, is my hope. To push, to, to move, to, to get you stirred up. Because, man, it's easy to get lazy and distracted at times. We need someone to nudge us in the right direction. We need that, that thing. You know, sometimes it's the time clock. Sometimes it's bosses. Sometimes it's this. But in our spiritual life here, it's one another that is called upon to do that. You know, the wise and the spiritual person welcomes that nudging and spurring and provoking from others. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. We need that counsel and we need to listen up for it. We might be surprised where it comes from sometimes, but we need to be listening to it. We need brothers and sisters in Christ who will help us 
to become more and better than what we would be without their prompting. We need that pushing. We need that prodding. Let's think for a moment about people who've made big impact and difference in our lives today. And who are they maybe? You know, some things might come to mind. Parents, teachers, mentors, friends. You know, those are ones that have helped us push farther than we ever wanted to go. They didn't let us get away with being less than what we should be or could be. You know, a few days ago, I was watching this guy that was working out, and, and he was trying to set a new personal record. And I'm looking at the amount on the weight that he had on his bar, and it equaled to greater than I weigh myself. And I was thinking, wow, because that number is bigger than you might realize. But he knew what his personal record was, and he didn't go, I'm going to add 200 pounds and be unrealistic. The little bit of push that he had was the coach with the camera over here and two more guys going, just two more pounds. And they were sliding little one-pound weights on. They weren't asking him to do the unaskable. They were spurring him on to get just a little bit more. And he did. And then they tried spurring him for another two pounds. And he didn't. But he got those first two pounds. And I will say, after seeing this guy and the way he works out, he will probably get that two pounds the next time he spurred on to get that two pounds. But that's what we need to do in here. You know, we talked about some of those works last night. It's to encourage, you know, not one card this week got sent out, but two. Not one visit got made, but two. Not one meal got left, but maybe two. I've never left one before, but I left one this week. It doesn't have to be huge but you've got to be spurred on to go further than you've been doing. You know, sometimes provoking means giving up being nice a little. And I don't mean that we're rude. But that's okay. Niceness is a little overrated sometimes. It's a fairly thin virtue even. Niceness is sometimes best suited for people you don't know very well because you're not trying to offend. But if we look at each other as brothers and sisters in here and family like we're called to be in the scriptures, then we may have to speak a little harsher and spur and push a little further sometimes. Deeper and more meaningful relationships require something more than niceness sometimes. Deeper and more meaningful relationships sometimes require that word provoking. Any close relationship that can tolerate mutual, you know, provoking isn't really a relationship worth having. We need to, I think I said that wrong. Any close relationship that can't tolerate mutual provoking isn't really a relationship worth having. There we go. I'll get the whole sentence in there. We need to have enough between us that we can take this and build on these kind of things. The last thing we need really in, in our lives is a bunch of people who just flatter us, who never disagree with us and never challenge us to do better. You know, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need to sharpen each other. We need to, you know, 
I remember years ago when dad would always sharpen the knife for mom at Thanksgiving. There are sometimes he would have to break the edge of the knife before he could resharpen that edge to go. And sometimes we have to almost break each other a little bit to get us to see where we need to be to be fixed. But sometimes he would just have to verily feather that blade and it'd be sharp enough to send you to the emergency room if you weren't careful. Iron sharpens iron, so one man needs to sharpen another. We need to know each other well enough to know whether we need to provoke or we need to just stir a little. And we'll be doing what we need to. And I can tell you as a preacher, you know, it's a temptation from the pulpit just to speak sweet things and easy because you take heat from being up here. So, so it, it would be a want to just want to hear the nice things, but, you know, it wouldn't do us any good. It's not very loving if you know the truth and you don't help each other see it. We have to help each other see it. You know, certainly we should come to worship looking for encouragement, but we should never be encouraged to stay where we are if it's not where God wants us to be. As a preacher, Luke, you have to give it to him. And he's not doing that to be mean or spiteful. He's stirring and provoking. And I'll say, for him and I, he's been preaching longer than me, so he's my senior if you want to do it. But I get the ideal of not wanting to be too harsh. But we, if we know the truth, we have to give the truth. You know, from our other night's lesson, what set aside doubt, doubt and what built faith, that was the truth of the word that was given and sent back to John and the miracles that were done. So as God has called us to provoke and stir up and to, to motivate and to spur one another on towards loving good deeds, we need to do that. And did you notice in these verses too, as we've been looking at these, this verse wasn't written exclusively to preachers and leaders. It was written to all Christians. And we need to remember that. It doesn't say elders consider how to spur on one another to love and good deeds. It doesn't say deacons consider how to spur on one another to good deeds. It doesn't say preachers. Rather, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to good deeds. It's every one of our jobs in here to provoke and sharpen one another. You know, all Christians are equally responsible for this. This is your job it's my job, but it's your job as well. Not because we're preachers, not because we're elders, not because we're Bible class teachers, not because of any other thing we do. It's because we are Christians. We are disciples of Jesus and we're brothers and sisters. And we are to provoke one another to do better. So we're going to do a little bit of shift like you've heard me do in all my lessons to now how do we do this? How do we provoke people in this way. And I've got three points that I want to make, and we will be building towards the, the end of the lesson. But first of all, I think we can provoke first and foremost by our presence. You know, again, Hebrews 10:25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Brothers and sisters, we can't positively influence others if we're not engaged with them personally and in our worship. 
And I know on this point, I may be preaching to the choir some because you all are here tonight on Wednesday night. But Wednesday night, as I said last night, Wednesday night and Sunday night and Sunday morning isn't all of life. We need to be doing this outside of this building on the rest of the times of the days and through the week. We must be together. We must spend time together in order to encourage and be an encouragement and to gain encouragement. You know, Charles has mentioned, you know, we have some elderly people at Lake Street. And, you know, when you talk about a group of 40 to 45 and five of them are above 90, that's a pretty good percentage. But I will tell you, all five of them, when they can't make it to class, will come in by worship service not hearing the lesson sometimes, not being able to hardly walk or sit down without it hurting. And they will tell everyone in there I know, though, that it's worth being there, even though they're sitting there in pain and maybe not even hearing my lesson part of the time. Because they realize there's something about being together, being present one with another. And they're an encouragement. You know, it's work for Charles to get to the car, the, the brother we've talked about that's in the hospital now. And I, he won't let us pull his car out for him. He'll walk it all the way from his parking spot across the parking lot with that walker. He is not going to let go of his duty of getting there. And sometimes I think, oh, it's just been a busy week. Oh, it's Wednesday night again. You know, his presence is amazing. We need to be present one with another. And his wife, Nellie, sings out with all her heart. I think she has every song in the songbook memorized. They are an encouragement by being there. It's beautiful. And you know, every time I sit there and I hear them singing and I see them sitting there, they are provoking me to want to keep getting up doing what I'm doing as an evangelist at Lake Street. And there are a lot more that encourage me, so don't take... But I hope you see the point of what I'm saying there. It is amazing that they're getting up and doing that. It's beautiful. And while it's just as true that showing up is important and encouraging it in many ways, forsaking the assembly is more than just not showing up. It's also a failure to not be engaged when you're here tonight or Sunday or Sunday night. Forsaking is not being what you should there. Just showing up is not enough. It's not the goal for them, it might be, but that's not our goal. That's not our baseline. We're to be here to provoke one another. Secondly, we can provoke each other by our example. We can and should be spurred on toward love and good deeds when we see other people's example of love and good deeds. You know, I, I remember, and there's a lot of people that know him in here, but... Gary used to talk about there was one lady that he would try to beat her card to wherever he was going to go visit someone. And this lady would write a get well card and have it in the mail before sometimes he even knew and could get to their house. She was an example of encouraging. We can and should be spurred on towards love by good deeds that we see others doing. And that's not them being showy. She never wanted that card to be known. But you take notice and you see when there's a fridge full of food there 
and you've dropped something off to help someone. There's others doing work, and that's an example of what we need to continue doing. And I don't want to beat a dead horse about good works, because that was all last night's lesson. And, but Christians do good works. And that was the summary of last evening. Our purpose, we're trying to be busy and working for the Lord. You know, Luke 21 1 through 4 says, And he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offerings, but she put out of her poverty into all that she had to live on. But out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. That poor widow encouraged the Lord. She did a good work. And maybe she even spurred those on who saw her to do more. And we should be inspired when we see others and the obstacles they overcome to be faithful in their loving good deeds for us to do more. You know, it's nice if I have surplus time and I go do things for people. But when it puts a pinch on me, do I still go do them? My surplus time, I'll, I'll give. But when it crimps in my style, do I go do those works I need to do? That widow did. It was her livelihood. And finally, I think the other thing we can do to provoke one another is our words. You know, we've talked many times about the power of words. In Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruits. You know, words of encouragement that we give to one another are so powerful and memorable. You know, if a brother here delivers a prayer, which I have to commend our brother that led one tonight, I appreciate you praying for me and praying for Luke and, and the things going on in the area because they're practical and they're right now and you remembered them. Thank you. When a sister teaches a class and you see the kids come out with joy in their eyes and singing songs and excited about the word of God, make sure to thank that sister for teaching those classes with your words. Don't take them for granted. When that man gets up and leads the Lord's Supper talk, thank him for those talks. Encourage those men to keep moving forward. You know, we have a young man that's been a Christian for several years at Lakeside and Lake Street. See, Luke and I have both tried to switch Lakeside and Lake Street together tonight, this week. He'd never taught a Bible class before. And he taught three chapters of the book of Matthew in the middle and took, took a chunk. And then when we got to Luke, he was willing to take another three. And I've got him signed up for John already. And he never taught a class before. It's those baby steps that go. And it's an encouragement. His example, and we're trying to encourage him with our words. You know, I had a brother that started teaching class Sunday that hadn't taught a Bible class in 40 years. He's preached within the past 40 years. But this brother had not taught a Bible class in 40 years. And because of his age at 84... He sat in a chair behind the Lord's Supper table with a mic over by him because he can't stand up for 45 minutes anymore. But his example, his words were an encouragement. 
There's time for warm words and encouraging words, but we also have to remember sometimes we need those challenging and corrective words too. All right, so I don't want to just leave on a warm, fuzzy feeling there, but, but it takes both. We have to do both sides of the coin to provoke us to be our fullest of what we can be. You know, maybe sometimes it's a time that we ask a brother or sister, are you sure that is a good course to take? Maybe that's one of the questions we use with our words when we try to provoke them to think about something. You know, there's a time to express our concern for a person's soul and for their lack of follow-through in their discipleship to the Lord. And of course, we must be careful how we share our challenging or critical words because love demands that we share them, but we have to then share them in love. So it takes some practice. And I'll tell you, I've stuck my foot in my mouth plenty of times thinking that I've been trying to encourage with soft words and I've come across like a uh, a baseball bat to China. And there's times that I thought I went and thought I was tougher on someone. And man, they didn't even blink an eye at it. And I thought, man, I must have just been a feather duster. You know, I, and it just... But we're called to do it. And it won't always be perfect. But I tell you, if your brother and sister know you love them, and if you spend enough time with them like you should, they will understand what you're trying to do. And you will win your brother or help your brother. And they will still continue to love you for that because they know you're trying to help them serve and be provoked to do good. You know, oftentimes I, I like this statement in Galatians 4.16 by Paul when he talks to Galatia and he says, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? That will be a question that we will feel sometimes when we go to a brother and sister and tell them the truth of what the word says. Or Proverbs 27.6 says, The wounds from a friend can be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses. Our words of correction and motivation can spur people on to get them moving in the right direction. And you know what? Lakeside, you're already doing all these things. Truly you are. You got, just by what I've experienced from you all as a group, you're doing it. Your faithful love, your service to the Lord, it gives me confidence and strength because you help me continue doing what I'm trying to do up in Nicholasville. And my hope was not to say you aren't doing these things tonight, but was to just push you a little farther. Just a little bit more. That two pounds... You know, that's not a lot, but do just a little bit more. In a few weeks, when that becomes easy, do a little bit more and do a little bit more. Or some of you may remember the, the, the movie, The Parent Trapper, they kept adding the rocks in the stepmom's backpack, and by the time she got up the mountain, she was worn out. That was too much. But we need to build up to doing a little bit more. You know, we're all on that same plane that we talked about um, Sunday morning going to heaven. But I think, you know, Paul gives us the best statement of this, 1 Thessalonians 4.10, excel still more. Excel still more. You know. We're all on the journey to the same destination. We're all wanting to go to heaven. And heaven's the goal. 
And my prayer and my encouragement for you is that you'll rest assured in your destination and in your journey so that you may confidently know that heaven's your home. That's what this week has been about. Trying to encourage you in that thing. In our prayer life, in our works that we do, in our doubt and putting bones and flesh on it and building our faith so that we no longer doubt and even how to obey the gospel. So I beg of you in here, if you've started your walk, help someone else start their walk in the Lord. I beg of you to stay on the walk and help someone else to stay on their walk. I admonish you to each grow your faith on this walk towards heaven. I beseech of you and ask and pray that you'll pray for one another deeper than just the physical things, but pray for the spiritual life and our well-being as brothers and sisters. I implore you, as I've said, to keep doing those good works on this walk. Every day, doing these things that we need to do. And finally, to excel still more as we come to an end of this gospel meeting this week. You know, the, in here, let's go back where we started at Hebrews 10.25. And think and close out this lesson and meeting with this. In our confident walk towards heaven, as Hebrews 10.25 says, all the more as you see the day approaching. Every day we go further, we're approaching that final day for ourselves. And we need to excel still more in these things we've talked about this week. And as I told you on Sunday morning, that wasn't an exhaustive, all-inclusive list. But I think they were some big points that we need to be considering on our walk towards heaven. As each day passes, we're one day closer. Jesus told us to be ready because none of us know when that day will come. We need not to be anxious about His coming, but we need to be ready for His coming. You know, tonight's challenge, and, and I've done this all week with you, and is if there's someone you know you need to encourage and provoke to get ready for Jesus' coming, don't delay in doing that. Take the good news that you know to that person, whether it's tonight or tomorrow, and share that with them as this day approaches, as Hebrew 10.25 says. You know, now's that time. You know, tonight, if we can help you to put on Christ in baptism, we would love to do that. Or if we can help you by praying about some burden or trial that you're going through right now, we'd ask that you'd let us know as we stand and as Danny leads us in song.